May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Today in the life of our parish, we have the opportunity to begin a new sermon series on the church. And this series will continue throughout the Easter season. Easter is not one day, it is 50 days of celebration. While the church is a large and vast topic, and we will not be able to cover it all in six Sundays, our aim in this sermon series is to sketch out the contours of what the church is and why it still matters in our post-Christian secular age, where people are taught to doubt the existence of God or even deny the existence of God. It has often been said that the birthday of the church was on Pentecost Sunday when the Holy Spirit was poured out on all the disciples in Jerusalem. But I think it's more accurate to say that the birth of the church was actually at the cross of Jesus Christ on Good Friday. When the soldier pierced Jesus' side to see if Jesus was dead, what poured out from his side? Blood and water. Now, I've only been present at four births, those of my children, and to be honest, I really am not too interested in getting a good look at the whole process. It, it changes perspective a little bit. But I do remember that there was water and blood involved. Do you recall what Jesus said to Nicodemus when they had their nighttime rooftop conversation? Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. That unless someone is born of water and the Holy Spirit, it is not possible to enter into God's kingdom. What else could Jesus be speaking of other than baptism? It is through baptism that we are crucified with Christ and resurrected with Christ. It is through baptism that we become members of, God's, of Christ's body, the church. It is through baptism that we are invited to participate in the feast of the kingdom, the Eucharist. But I'm getting a bit ahead of myself, so let's take a bit of a step back. There is a reason as to why you are here today. What I mean is, there's a reason why you came to this place and to these people this morning. You could have stayed in bed. You could have gone to a different parish or congregation. You could have gone to a mosque or a synagogue or to an ashram. You could have went golfing, but you didn't. You came here. Now our motivations for coming here to this place with these people are different. I came because, well, as the rector, I kind of have to be. I suppose I could have decided to stay home, but I would imagine that my absence might get noticed and that I would be getting a phone call from one of the wardens saying, it's Sunday morning, where are you? Some of you came to support the families of those who are being baptized today. Some of you came out of tradition or out of duty. Some of you came because you needed to speak with someone about something else and you knew that person would be here today. Some of you came because you're on the liturgical roster and there are duties to fulfill. Some of you don't even know why the heck you're here. But I would suggest that you are not here because of your choice or your desire or your decision. You are here because you have responded to a divine summons. What I mean is you are here because God has called you here. Whether or not you've lived in Paris your whole life or have recently moved into the area or are just visiting for today, your presence here is not due to you. 
Your presence is here is due to God's work, regardless of whether or not you feel this is even the case or even possible. Now, the choice to not be here this morning is the result of a person's own decision. But conversely, the choice to be here is God's work. Now, this might seem like a bit of a provocative claim to make. But when human actions align with God's will and purposes, the proper Christian response is to acknowledge that God's will is being done. If God is summoning us somewhere and we find ourselves in that place, if God is summoning to us to be with a particular people and we find ourselves in their midst, it is God's work in which we are participating. This is what theologians mean when they speak of the divine economy. They don't mean about God's bookkeeping practices and how God's portfolio is at work. The word economy is Greek from the word oikonomia. Say it with me. Oikonomia. And I feel like the dad from my big fat Greek wedding right now. But The word oikonomia means household management. To be an economist is to manage a household. So God's house is in order when its residents are in line and they listen to the homeowner. Now the word okoinomia is related to another Greek word that gets used quite frequently in the New Testament when describing the church. What is it, John? You don't remember. I'm going to put him on the spot. Sorry. He's sitting right in front of me. (laughs) Koinonia. Say it with me. Koinonia. He'll get me back for embarrassing him later. Koinonia means fellowship or communion. A koinomia household and koinomia are relationship words. They describe the way that people interact and connect with each other. The same is true of the metaphors that the New Testament authors use when they describe the church. A house built of living stones, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. These are all relationship words. They are powerful images, but they are related in relationship. And so what holds the house, the body, and the bride together? Well, the answer, of course, is Jesus. But how does Jesus create, maintain, and support his household? He does it through the water of baptism. You see, when it comes to the church, water and oil are thicker than blood. In other words, baptism is more significant than your DNA when it comes to determining who you are. To be clear, I'm not suggesting that our family relationships are unimportant. They are indeed very important. But what I'm saying is that for Christians, our primary allegiance is to Jesus and to Jesus' body, the church. And this is what Jesus himself was getting at in Luke 14, verse 26. I'm not going to read it right now. That's your homework for today. Go home and read Luke 14, verse 26. When we are baptized, we are baptized into the oikonomia, the economy, and the oikonomia, the fellowship of the church. The church is, fundamental, is the fundamental family for all who follow in the way of Christ. Baptism is first and foremost God's action. God is at work in baptism, calling and constituting the church, summoning those who will follow him. You see, if baptism was primarily our action, something that we did, then the church would be nothing more than an affinity group of people who share similar preferences and walks of life, the same outlooks and perspectives on the world. But the church really isn't like that, is it? We have different perspectives, 
different outlooks, different opinions, different walks of life. There are few other places and communities in the world where you will find different people from different walks of life, different cultural and ethnic backgrounds, different socioeconomic statuses, all gathered together for one shared purpose, to worship God and to serve one another and to serve our world. Who else but God could pull together and summon such a diverse and motley group of people? Jesus did it with the 12 disciples, and Jesus does it now with the church. Jesus summons us and makes us one, makes us sisters and brothers through the waters of baptism. The Apostles' Creed is a baptismal creed, and in a few moments we will, we will recite it in the original context in which it was written, the baptismal liturgy where the priest would ask those about to confess their faith, the faith that they share with the, Catholic, the church Catholic, do you believe these things? When we confess the Apostles' Creed, we are making an identity claim. I belong to God, and I belong to God's people. I belong to this God, and I belong to these people. Baptism is how we mark our identity. Before anything else, we belong to God and to God's church. This is precisely the point that St. Paul is making in his letter to the Philippians, where when St. Paul is recounting his family lineage and his pedigree, he says he counts them all as loss for the sake of Christ. This is the same point that Paul is making in the often quoted but often misunderstood passage in his letter to Galatians, where he writes this, quote, You are all God's children through faith in Jesus Christ. All of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with him. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male or female, for you are all in one in Jesus Christ. Baptism is how we self-identify as belonging to God's household and God's economy. Now this is radical stuff, both in St. Paul's day and ours, because baptism is the great equalizer, the powerful and the rich, the weak and the poor, and everyone in between are all called to die to themselves and to find their new identity in Christ. In Christ we are one. Now like a body, as St. Paul explains, we have different roles and we have different spiritual gifts. But these roles and gifts are all in service to build and to care for God's household together. Now when it comes to clergy, people think, well, the clergy are higher or, more, or better than anyone else. But this is not the case. For I and Sarah and John all share in the same baptism as you. We are all equal as brothers and sisters in Christ. Our role as clergy is to help and steward and to curate the household, to equip you, the saints, to carry out and to fulfill our shared baptismal vocation. Baptism is also radical in our day because it is a countercultural act. Our culture tells us that the individual person is the be-all and end-all. The individual gets to decide who they are and what they want without any inside, outside interference. I belong to no one. I am free. I am the master of my fate. In our culture, my identity is determined by where I live, the clothes I wear, the job I have, the amount of money in my bank account, the vehicle I drive, and so on and so on. So it should be no surprise to us that when our culture wants to tell me that I am number one, 
It's because it wants to sell me the things that it thinks I need in order to make myself a standalone individual, ahead of the pack, different and distinct from everyone else. But what's the result? Conclaves of affinity groups of people who act and think and dress and speak alike. Is it any wonder that isolation and despair are becoming profound societal issues in today's world where the individual consumer reigns supreme? Baptism cuts through all this cultural rhetoric. Baptism tells you, you are not alone. You matter. You are not a consumer. You are a child of God. Through baptism, God reminds us that we are created not to be alone, but to be in relationship, that we are loved. We belong. We have a home. We have a family. Belonging, but this kind of belonging is also countercultural because it means that we have an obligation to God and to each other, that we belong to God and that we belong to each other. Once upon a time, the church lived in a culture called Christendom, And it was not a question of if you go to church, but rather where you went to church. Thank God those days are over. Because it means that those of you who have heard God's summons to be here today want to be here. You have chosen this place and this people to make your home. You are here because you understand that you belong here. But belonging comes at a cost. It means that if a brother or sister is hurting, we have an obligation to care for one another not just to send the priest, but to all share in their suffering, to be and to bring the church to those who find themselves on the margins. Because when one of us suffers, we all suffer. But it also means that when we belong, we are opening ourselves to being held accountable by another, by others in the parish. If a sister or a brother is absent from among us, we have a responsibility to call them back to us, to tell them that we are not the same without their presence and gifts, that they belong to us and that we belong to them. You see, contrary to popular opinion, there is no such thing as a casual Christian or a Christian that exists outside of the church. This is an impossibility. There can be no such thing as a Christian outside the church. Because how can one claim to be with us and part of us when they don't worship, pray, and serve with us? You may recall a very powerful image that Reverend Sarah used in a sermon a few months ago when she asked this question. Can a person call themselves an artist if they rarely or ever pick up a paintbrush? In a world where, as we were reminded last week with the bombings in Sri Lanka, Christians are being martyred for their faith, for the faith that they confess in their baptism. Let us not mock their witness with our flimsy excuses and cheap rationales or by treating the church as a consumer that I will go when I feel like it, when I have the time. We belong to each other. Let us continue to see the church as God's household, a household that spans time and place, that unites us to the past and to the future and unites us to Christians across the globe because of our baptism. My sisters and brothers in Christ, and especially today Ryan and Colton, Finley and Eloise, in your baptism, God is summoning us and you to participate in God's economy and household. God's economy and household is not a social club. It's not a service group. It's not a community that provides religious goods and services when you need a little boost. It is the body of Christ. Through your baptism today, you will be born again. You belong to God, you belong to us, 
and we belong to you. Without you, St. James cannot be who God has called us to be. Welcome home. Behold your family. In the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.